0: It's Monday, December 14th, 2020, and you're listening to an episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I am your host, Brett like and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. On today's episode, we'll talk about a couple little newsy things. I wanted to talk a little about, about the, uh, the new Ford Bronco Sport, um, a little bit on the Ford Mustang Mach-E. We'll just kind of have a Ford section somewhere in the middle. And then last up, I want to talk a little bit about uh, life, this podcast, other things that are going on. So with all that being said, we'll just dive straight into the news. Uh, First of which that, uh, well, like a lot of news these days, it's all about electrified options, electrification of a lot of things, And I want to start things off with Toyota. This is actually a news story from last week. Uh, Toyota announced that they will be showing off a new electric crossover for Europe uh, sometime early next year, uh, considering that next year is only like two and a half weeks away. Uh, This is pretty exciting. Uh, Toyota has been very slow to get into the electric vehicle game. Uh, They've been wanting to find more practical solutions for batteries and powertrains that go beyond where a lot of other automakers are at. Uh, To be fair, they were burned by Tesla with the RAV4 EV, um, other EV projects they've done previous to that weren't exactly particularly great, uh, so they're kind of going at it alone, and they're spending billions of dollars developing solid-state battery technology that, if it can deliver, uh, the kind of, uh, what do you want to call it, uh, kilowatt per gram? I I don't really know how to describe this. Basically, the power density that you want to have, uh, with this kind of vehicle. Like, they're talking, like, being able to charge from, like, zero to a hundred percent in you know less than an hour with some of these things and these are going to be very big batteries that are going to be able to power these vehicles uh, well past 200 miles of range uh, and starting with a crossover you know seems to be the smart way to go now what is key about this announcement is that they're saying it's going to be for europe only first where there's a huge incentive a huge draw to electrification for a lot of brands because, well, in Europe, it's going to be illegal to buy a gasoline or diesel-powered vehicle much sooner than it will be here in the United States. Uh, Even if California gets their wish and actually follows through with, you know, doing this by 2035, you know, it's still 15 years from now, and, you know, we could see that tighten up a bit uh, as things continue to change for a lot of automakers, but, uh, you know, Toyota getting into this game really presents itself as a sleeping giant. You know, GM's got their Ultium stuff, which I think is very, very good. That's why Honda signed on to be a partner in that technology. Volkswagen's got the MEB architecture, um, which is really, really good, and that's why Ford signed on to be a partner with that. Uh, Stellantis with PSA and FCA, they're going to have some really interesting options going forward. Um, but Toyota, you know they're, they, when they commit to something, they go full force into it. That's why the Mirai has continued to soldier on. That's why the new Mirai is such a beautiful, uh, vehicle. There's, you know, they, they believe that hydrogen is a thing, but now that they're going to start committing to electrification, uh, I think we're going to see some really cool stuff coming from Toyota in the near future. And, you know, Toyota, when they put this out, they're not going to mess it up. They want to maintain those reliability uh, ratings. They want to maintain this good relationship with their customer base. Uh, as somebody who is, generally speaking, in terms of Japanese brands, a Toyota guy, uh, I, I'm definitely a believer when they say that they are going to deliver on this stuff. So hopefully we'll find out more in the next couple of weeks. Uh, bringing it back to the United States, uh, the Jeep 4xe. Uh, The first of the 4xe's rolled off the assembly line in Toledo, Ohio today. Uh, The 4xe Jeep Wrangler, if you didn't know, is a plug-in hybrid Wrangler that promises not to lose any off-road capability, but give you a much more greener uh, day-to-day operation. Uh, Basically, this is kind of riffing off the technology that we've seen in the Chrysler Pacifica Hybrid But instead of being, and I'm probably going to use this term wrong, uh, a a series hybrid, I think is what they call it, where you use the uh, motor and battery, or excuse me, the gasoline engine and the battery kind of in concert with one another to power an electric motor that powers the wheels directly, Um, this Jeep is going to be using the gasoline motor and electric motor that are attached to the transmission um, that let it power either by gas or electric or a combination of both. Uh, to all four wheels, which explains why this Jeep still has a transfer case uh, and can do some pretty serious off-roading. Now, what is also interesting to find out, and I think this is going to be something much further down the road, is how much this is going to differ with the 4xe systems in the Cross, or excuse me, the Compass and the Renegade. I think those vehicles are probably going to be closer to what's in the Pacifica versus what's in the Wrangler. That being said, it's tough to say. Uh, Toyota's been doing similar-ish type of things with the RAV4 Prime. Uh, that one, I think, is based on something closer to the Pacifica hybrid, um, where the battery uh, and the gasoline motor kind of do the thing with the stuff in the middle to do whatever. But with at least with the Toyota, it's the front wheels that are primarily powered by gasoline. It's the rear wheels that have their own electric motor. Everyone's going to kind of do it a different way. I think Toyota's design is pretty smart. That's probably going to be closer to what's in the Compass and the Renegade, but the Jeep thing is very unique, very interesting. Uh, I believe it's the electric motor produces, like, 160-ish horsepower and a pretty fat torque figure, which the number escapes me. Uh, the gasoline engine is somewhere around 300, like it is in the regular Jeep Wrangler. Uh, altogether, it's going to be just under 400 horsepower, um which is nothing to scoff at. Uh, Total electric range isn't exactly great. Uh, Jeep is putting a 17 kilowatt hour battery inside the vehicle. Uh, Assuming that they're using this battery in the same way that GM did with the Volt and BMW does with the i3 and other things like that, uh, you're probably looking at a usable capacity somewhere around 10 or 11 kilowatt hours, which is enough uh, but that definitely explains why it only has a 25-mile electric range. Now, that being said, a lot of Wrangler owners out there, you know, just diddle-doddle their way to, you know, Meyer, Lowe's, the car wash, and go home. Um, you know, some people do take them off-road in Jeeps, saying that they're going to be able to have some options with that, so... Let's say you're here in Michigan, you want to drive up to the Silver Lake Dunes. You know, you could use the gas motor all the way there and then have 25 miles of electric range to go up and down the dunes, be green, be quiet, do all the good things out there. And then when you get off the trail, you can maybe throw it on the charger while you eat lunch, have some range to take back home, uh, or you can switch it back to gas and then use it as electric while you're around. Uh, Really, the main thing here is that by giving people these options... And by not making it significantly more expensive than some of the other powertrain options that the Wrangler has, uh, I think you're going to look at some folks, like my partner's mom, who has a fully loaded Wrangler Rubicon. She drives it to and from work every day, uh, which is maybe less than 20 miles a day. You know, she could save thousands of dollars a year in gas by going with this plug-in hybrid variant. And, you know, you got more power. You don't really lose any capability off-road. I mean, the trade-offs there are pretty minimal, and it makes a very good case for it, or a very good case for itself. You know, as much as I can say, "Wow, 25 miles of range really sucks a lot of ass." Uh, in the end, that's a product that I think works pretty well overall, um, all things considered. Now speaking of electrified models that we are eagerly anticipating, uh, Volkswagen kind of touched on some of the stuff that they're doing with the ID series of vehicles. Uh, the ID cars are going to be eventually what replaces pretty much the entirety of the Volkswagen lineup, uh, and Volkswagen has said today that they are committing to an ID series of vehicles, basically one through six. Now, what anything is going to be beyond the ID3, which is the golf-sized variant, and the ID4, which is Golf ish in nature, kind of like where the Tiguan used to be. We don't really know. Uh, we know that there's a wagon coming. I'm going to guess that's probably the ID 5. Uh, we know that there is going to be an ID 1 and 2 sooner than later. Uh, I'm wondering if that's going to be something that's maybe like the size of a polo and then maybe like a T Rock. That might make some sense as well. Um, but yeah, it's tough to say. Uh, Volkswagen did say that the buggy concept, at least in Europe, is dead. Here in the U.S., they're still seeking a manufacturing partner, so there could be some future with that idea. There was also an off-roady thing that they showed a while ago. I'm completely drawing a blank on what the name of the concept was. Uh, That one has been shelved as well, but they did say that they could revisit either project uh, in the future, and a lot of that comes down to the MEB architecture, um, between the platform, the batteries, and the motors. Basically, Volkswagen can design a vehicle at the will of the marketplace, and as things continue to shift more towards crossovers and SUVs, and there's going to probably eventually be some major stratification within that to, you know serious off-roaders or serious comfort luxury vehicles or maybe you know something that's just in the vein of practicality which is basically a minivan uh Volkswagen's going to be able to cater to where things are going and uh that's kind of exciting to think about where they can basically look at data and really shorten up those development cycles and go yeah this is it for this and this is it for that and uh we'll we'll see where things are going i i do hope that the electric buggy does eventually make it to some sort of production capacity. Um, the Myers Company, you know, the people who make the Myers Manx, continue to say, "Yeah, it's something that we're working on." Um, but what exactly that's going to mean here in the U.S. when we're not getting the ID three, instead getting the ID four, um, it's kind of kind of tough to say. Now, shifting gears away from electrified things to gasoline-powered vehicles. Uh, the Ford Bronco Sport is here. Uh, Ford had said the other day, and when I was looking at them online, that we have had several models delivered to the greater Grand Rapids area. Uh, I went looking for them and was not able to find them. Uh, it sounds like these early ones that we're getting have all been spoken for, so they're basically being delivered to the dealer and getting picked up within a day or two of that. Um... I'm really excited to see it in person and it's been really interesting comparing some of the uh, written reviews both uh, in print and online as well as uh, some of the video reviews on places like uh, KBB uh, and uh, Doug Demiro's channel is a great one. That's kind of the one I want to touch on a little bit and maybe I'll bring in some electrification stuff in just a moment, but uh, Doug kind of touched on how... The size is something that doesn't really get uh, shown off very well uh, in a lot of things. The new Bronco Sport is about 8 inches shorter than a comparable Ford Escape. Uh, this new Bronco Sport is, you know, sits kind of between two different models in the Ford lineup. Uh, it's between the EcoSport, which is quite small, a little bit bigger than a Fiesta, uh, and then there's the Escape that's more you know, focused-sized. This one kind of sits between the two, so it's kind of like a Jeep compass almost, Um, but I believe the Ford is a little bit taller and a little bit longer. Um, Overall, you know, I think driving reviews have been incredibly positive. The thing is relatively quiet. Fuel economy maybe leaves a little bit of room uh, to improve, Um, But I think a lot of that comes down to the square shape of the vehicle kind of being a punishment. Also, a lot of the test vehicles that were being talked about were 2.0 liter Badlands models, so they're going to have more off-roady tires, uh, and that engine is known to suck up a bit of fuel when you uh, put the pedal down. I'm really curious to know what the 1.3 liter versions drive like, especially in the lower trims, uh, because at least to me, that seems to be the one to get, but uh, I'm not every buyer out there on the road. Uh, but one thing Doug did highlight is that the plastic quality of the interior isn't particularly great even in a fully loaded Badlands model and that is a bit of a disappointment. I shouldn't be completely surprised as a former Ford owner it tends to be the top part that looks really great. It's the lower part that you don't typically see all that much or touch all that much that tends to leave a lot of a lot of stuff to be desired but uh you know For something that's as capable as this Bronco Sport is off-road, it shouldn't be a huge surprise. Now, what is a bit of a surprise, as we're on this as a subject, is that Ford still hasn't talked about whether or not they want to do an electrified version of the Bronco Sport. It is based on the same platform as the Ford Escape. The Ford Escape has a hybrid and plug-in hybrid option. Uh, the plug-in hybrid, if I remember, it got delayed a little bit, um, due to some manufacturing constraints, and I don't remember if that was strictly because of COVID or something else, um, but it seems like you would want to have that kind of thing available in a Bronco Sport, especially with, uh, the popularity that this particular vehicle will probably have going forward, uh, considering that you would have both the, incredibly well-improved fuel economy numbers. I think the Escape hybrid and plug-in hybrid is somewhere up in the 40s. Uh, something like that in a Bronco makes a bit of sense. And you think about the Wrangler 4xe and the 4xe Compass and Renegade. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it's an area of the woods that I think is going to start to get a little more populated. And Ford going in there with something like that, I think would kind of prove, I don't know, to people like me who want something a little more green, that yes, they have your interests in mind, you know, yes, they make a hybrid F-150 that can do some pretty interesting things, uh, but that truck's still only getting, you know, 24, 27 miles per gallon. It's not anything greater than what's in a Silverado with a turbo four. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm not a product planner. I'm not an engineer. Maybe the smaller size of the vehicle creates some constraints with the batteries and the motors and whatever else that I'm not completely understanding, and it might ultimately take away from some of the off-road capability of the vehicle. I don't know if I completely buy it, because uh, if you've watched the review of the Toyota RAV4 Prime on uh, the TFL channels, uh, they took a RAV4 Prime with a full charge up an off-road course, and the RAV4 Prime in electric mode really had some serious performance, and I think with the right wheels and tires probably would blow away a lot of a comp, uh, or heavier duty competition in that segment just because it's got that instant torque right away with those electric motors and you know it can send power from side to side without needing a differential and that's really the key to a lot of things doing that and you know forward i think if you wanted to do it i think there would be interest there from a lot of people because you know i really like the idea of a bronco sport it's maybe not the best vehicle for me, but if there was an electric version uh, or electrified version, that would be a much more interesting thing. So yeah, that kind of rounds out a bit of the news that's going on. Obviously, there's a lot of other things happening. You know, the the Volvo, uh, what is it, XC40 plug-in thing, electric thing, I'm completely blanking on what the name of it is, has kind of been tested a little bit. Uh, that's a 208-mile range, all-electric, XC40. It is what it is. It's $55,000. It's a little too expensive. I think most of the ones that they're going to sell, in air quotes, are going to be on a lease or be a part of their subscription program. Uh, In those instances, I think that makes a little bit more sense, but to buy one outright in terms of size and performance, I think you could get a little bit more out of a, well, I don't know, a Tesla Model Y, hate to say it, or, you know, a Ford Mustang Mach-E, uh, speaking of the Maki, e are supposed to be starting uh, to be delivered to Ford dealers within the next couple of weeks. Uh, I've only seen one pre-production model at an auto show. Beautiful little machine, really excited to see one in person and touch it, maybe eventually drive one, but uh, early impressions, at least that they can talk about, seem to be pretty good in terms of uh, design, engineering, quality looks and feels. Uh, driving impressions are still embargoed for a while, so uh, I'm definitely eager to hear more about how the Maki uh, performs, especially the uh, rear-wheel drive versions, because I definitely think that's the one to get. Um, but yeah, we'll take a little bit of a break, and we'll talk about some uh, car culture and some stuff about the podcast. Car culture time on the show. This is where we talk about just car things in general. And I wanted to talk very quickly about uh, something I put today on Twitter. Uh, That's twitter.com slash iceman. That's Y-S-S-M-A-N. I came across a wild Nissan Stagia. Stagia? Stagia, I think is how we say it here in the United States. Uh, If you don't know what a Stagia is, Stagia, Stagia, I'm going to say it wrong, 13 times in a row. Uh, More or less, it's a Nissan Skyline station wagon. That's probably the easiest way to describe it. It's a lot more complicated than that, um, but I believe the Stagia is based loosely on the R34 platform. So uh, it's got uh, similar engines, similar transmission from the Skyline. You can get it with a similar all-wheel drive system. Um, but the platform is longer uh the vehicle size is taller because the Stadia is a station wagon not a sedan or a coupe uh this is the first time i've ever seen one in person uh it was shocking to see it parked behind my building that i work in uh i was going walking around the side of it to go get my volt off the charger and uh really surprised to see uh that that sitting there it was a shock of a yellow color, bright yellow, had these white alloy wheels. Uh it was lightly modified. I don't know if it was modified in Japan or when it was brought to North America. Um but the car had temporary tags, meaning it was registered somewhere. I don't know if it was Canada or the US. I didn't really get a good look at the tag plate because I was trying to be mm, what's a good word to say? Trying to be uh respectful of the vehicle as it was sitting there because it was parked very far away from a lot of other things and uh you know, there's a reason why people do that. They they want the car to be left alone. Um, but yeah, in person, wow, what a thing. I, I've liked the Stagia for quite a while. That goes back to Gran Turismo 1, 2, whatever version it was that I drove it for the first time, probably 2. Um, what's difficult to describe about the Stagia is that its sizing is very different than what you would expect. I think growing up for years and years, I assumed it was give or take about the size of a Volvo XC70, like the one from the mid-aughts. Uh, kind of is the word I would use to describe it. The XC70 is definitely much taller. Um, Width-wise, the the Stagia is much narrower, um, but the overall shape of the vehicle, the Stagia, is really long. Like, we're talking, like, Nissan Maxima long. Like, it is significantly long uh that would probably mean that there's a lot of space sitting in the first and second row you could probably sit quite comfortably even as a six foot 200 pound American uh shoulder wise I think it might be a little bit weird uh it's kind of narrow like my Volt if that makes sense uh or like a Cruze or like a Civic like a modern Civic kind of tight across the shoulders um but the backs the backspace uh for the boot for the for the wagon part whatever you want to call it uh huge amounts of space that you could load things into. I was really struck by the weird shape of the car. I'd always known that they were, you know, about the size of a Passat. I remember Car and Driver describing the skyline being about that, and this was not quite that. So, very cool to see one in person. Not sure how it's here legally because uh, it technically comes uh, past the uh 25-year import ban it's it's too young for that so i'm not sure how it's here uh here in michigan sometimes we do get c cars from canada come across and canada they have a 15-year import rule um so i've seen like toyota Vitzes and stuff like that come across before um but uh yeah i'm not sure how it got here but very cool to see one of those in person so definitely uh, if you want to check it out Head on over to uh, twitter.com slash I only posted one picture. Not super exciting, but uh, cool to see that they're starting to sneak quietly into the U.S., at least at this point in time. Uh, the main part I want to talk about in car culture is actually truck culture, and it's this battle that's going on right now uh, between a lot of people when it comes to uh, size and performance of pickup trucks. Uh, there's been a lot of discourse about pedestrian safety, Uh, fuel economy, and, you know, I guess, for lack of a better term, toxic masculinity when it comes to pickup trucks. Uh, Here in North America, we sell a million F-150s a year. Uh, It's a pretty obscene number when you consider. At the same time, there's, what, 800,000 GM pickup trucks that are right behind that, Uh, uh, more than half a million Dodge Rams, a ton of Toyota t- uh, Tacomas and uh Tundras and Titans and whatever else it's this is truck country to say the least there's a reason why they make Texas editions of a lot of these trucks and uh there's been a lot of photos going around myself included posting one of uh older Toyotas, Hondas, Nissans, or I guess not a Honda but uh Toyotas, Nissans, Uh, Mitsubishis and more, uh, parked next to other newer mid-size and full-size trucks, and just seeing how dwarfed trucks have become. uh, Trucks that are barely even 20 years old are teeny tiny compared to what's available today, and it's really become a question of, you know, how much of this is actually need versus want? How much of this is market demand versus how cars are being built? And it's, it's, it's a weird discourse. And the only way I can really wade into it is by saying, at least from my perspective, trucks are too big. Uh, trucks are unsafe for pedestrians. Trucks are, uh, very fuel inefficient. Trucks are, you know, in my opinion, a case-by-case basis for who needs what. And I have a narrow view of it because, Where I am in my life, I don't need a pickup truck. Would I like one? Maybe, if it was the right size and the right price. But, you know, all of this, all considered trucks are just too damn expensive. And people are spending way too much money on a Ram 1500. People are spending entirely too much money on a Ford Ranger. Uh, There just doesn't seem to be a right way to handle this end of the market these days. And we're starting to see brands like Honda offer the Ridgeline, being a little bit more of a moderately sized truck with more modest capabilities. And they haven't exactly set the world on fire. And now we see the new modified 2021 range line coming through and it's more truck-like and they're trying to make it tougher and appeal more to the tough guys uh, to get some sales. And it feels kind of gross is maybe a good word to use. We've got the, you know, Ford Maverick coming through, which appears to be a Bronco Sport with a truck bed off the back. And that seems to kind of be the tipping point for where things are going to be going with trucks. Uh, You know, Fiat has talked for years about bringing in a sub-1500 Ram and whether that would be a new Dakota or a sub-Dakota option. Um, It's been out there. Ford's thing is definitely going to be the smallest pickup truck on the market when it shows up sometime next year. Uh, Hyundai has the Santa Cruz coming, which is based on the Santa Fe. Um, which is going to be a little bit smaller, but it's not going to be super small. And the question is, you know, how much truck do you actually need? And I guess, what does that say about you? For me, as somebody who lives in the suburbs of a mid-sized city in the United States, I don't need a lot. In fact, I think the Bronco Sport-based Maverick probably makes the most amount of sense of a lot of things because it would have a very capable all-wheel drive system, Uh, The bed size would be enough to be able to go to Lowe's and fill it up with some decent amount of stuff, or you could put some bikes in there very easily. To me, that makes sense. But even then, I go, I don't even need a pickup truck that big. I could go with something like a Ram 1000, which is sold down in Mexico. It's basically a Fiat little front-wheel drive pickup truck. That would be perfectly fine. But then I think of people like my father and my youngest brother who have these massive oversized pickup trucks that are designed to go off-road and do all these things, and neither one of them are going to see dirt. Ever. And what's the point? What is the point? My youngest brother is proud of the fact that his dozer gets 11 miles per gallon. Why? Why is that even remotely acceptable in 2020? Uh, why is my dad out here saying, you know, the P word to people who don't drive the right pickup trucks? You know i told him a while ago that if i was going to get one i would get a silverado with a 2.7 liter turbo maybe just a basic four-wheel drive system i don't need anything crazy it's michigan after all uh, and he's just like why doesn't make any sense if you got a v8 what are you some kind of wussy and it's just disgusting behavior and it's a disgusting attitude to have and you know I get that people want to have this cool, tough pickup truck, and I think there's a time and a place for that. You know, I think something like a, like the new uh, Ford Ranger Raptor, or not Raptor, Ford Ranger uh, Tremor, I think makes a decent case for itself. Uh, I think some of the off-roady, tough modifications that are going on the uh, Honda Ridgeline make an okay amount of sense. But the Ram TRX, that's too much. I just don't care. Right over my head. Uh, the new Raptor that might be coming soon, potentially with a V8 instead of the turbo V6, right over my head. Just really doesn't matter to me. Uh, and you know, that's just me. And, you know, if you've got an insane amount of money that you want to spend on a pickup truck, be my guest. Uh, but, you know, don't belittle those of us who go, maybe you should be a little bit smarter with your money and get something else. Uh, I don't know. That's really the only way I can really leave it. Uh, there's plenty of discourse online if you want to read it. Um, I'm sure we'll be having this discussion over and over and over and over again as smaller trucks continue to head towards the market. Um, but, uh, yeah, this doesn't show any signs of stopping. Anyway, after the bump, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about myself and this podcast and some things I want to do heading into 2021. So, uh, Stick around, and we'll see you after the bump. Well, here close to the end of the show is the part where we kind of talk about car whatever. And at least on this episode, the car whatever is going to be about uh, this podcast and myself. Uh, It's weird to talk about the end of 2020 looking into 2021, uh because you know as much as i say yeah i've had a really terrible year um i know that my trials and tribulations amount to very little compared to others out there there are people who got very sick there are people who died there are people who lost their house there are people who lost a lot of things and i consider myself fairly lucky lucky that i wasn't sick i didn't lose my apartment I was actually able to buy a new-to-me car, um, and that's a good thing, um, but a lot of the bad stuff in 2020 for me has been, I think, more emotional than it has been physical, if that makes sense, and by that I mean, you know, I've really struggled a lot with, you know, what I've touched on a couple of times throughout the show is that, you know, I, I lost my job, uh at a company that I thought I was going to be with for a decade or more. Um, I was running the retail stores and designing merchandise for New uh, Nuhon Brewing Company, the second largest independent brewer in the state of Michigan. Uh, I had been there for three years, and I was fired the Friday before Thanksgiving, um, a week before my third anniversary in the company. And the further... I've gotten away from that day at the end of November, uh, the more I realize that the terms with which I was separated from uh, were not necessarily the truth, 100% the truth. And uh, different people have told me different things. I have learned different things by other means, and it really sucks. It's very hurtful to learn that, you know, you're being fired when you have delivered nothing but financial results for your boss, for the company that you were employed by, you have received nothing but praise from your coworkers, uh, from your staff, from whatever, and to basically learn mostly out of the blue um, that you're gone really sucks. And it hurt. And it took basically the entirety of this year to figure out that, you know... That was not a good situation to be in, and getting fired was not the worst thing that could have happened. And as much as I will probably say for a very long time that it was the best job that I ever had, because truthfully, it was very fulfilling, it was fun, I loved the people that I worked with, um, that was also offset with, you know, an extremely toxic work environment that was fostered by bad people who had bad things in mind and expected a lot of bad things and yeah i don't know it's just it's it's very frustrating to kind of be in that balance all the time reflecting on what i was doing and the money i was making and how happy i was versus you know realizing how sad and depressed I was and how bad my health was. And, you know, it really sucks. And it's, it's been tough wrestling with that this year because at the same time, you know, if it wasn't for getting fired, uh, I would not have made the friends that I have made on Twitter in the past year. Uh, I would not have gained the listeners that I have gained on this podcast thanks to you. I would not have, grown as a human in changing my perspective (laughs) as an employee, as somebody who was unemployed for a long time, uh, as a lot of things, and it really sucks, and it's, it's been nice to hear from people who I used to work with that, you know, it was good to get out when I did, and it's been nice to hear from people that, you know, things are going to get better, and they will get better, and, you know, part of all the reason why I'm doing this right now is talking about how I would like to try to make things better heading into 2021. And a part of that is this show, and uh, this is not a full-time commitment of saying I'm going to do this show every week on Tuesday at whatever time because working in retail right now, I have no way to gauge what my schedule is going to be week to week, day to day, hour to hour. it It's virtually impossible. And, you know, I would love to say, yes, I'm going to deliver this show every week on this day and this time. But the other truth of the matter is that car news seems extremely fickle these days, and uh, having stuff to talk about isn't always exactly the case either. So we're going to try to be more consistent. That's st- step one. Uh, step two is that as I've gotten further away from New Holland Brewing Company, and aside from the toxic work environment that was extremely unhealthy unhealthy for me, what was very healthy was the artistic outlet that it was for me. Uh, so, you know, whether that was working on some social media stuff, whether that was uh, doing some work on the website, doing... Designs for t-shirts and hats, stickers, whatever else. Uh, I really miss doing that. I miss having a creative outlet for it. And I want to engage those talents once once again, uh, doing something. And a part of that is trying to figure out what my brand is. (laughs) And that's been tough. Uh, I am a lower middle class, cis somewhat straight white dude from Michigan. What do I have to contribute to the greater landscape other than some basic opinions? I don't even want to call them necessarily hot takes. Uh but yeah, I don't know. And so I I realized that so many of my episodes basically focus entirely on electric or electrified vehicles uh because I think that is arguably the most interesting stuff to talk about these days. Um 700 horsepower pickup trucks from FCA just aren't it, guys. Like, it's cool in a general sense that, wow, look at that. That's neat. Great. Um, But that doesn't really appeal to someone who makes the kind of money I do and wants to make greener choices in their life. So, I do want to try to talk more about that, especially since I bought a sub-$10,000 used electric, in our quotes, vehicle. and kind of lean into that. I don't, I, yeah, I don't really know where exactly that's going to go. Um, but I have been thinking about rebranding the show uh, to charge or die um, and kind of leaning more into the green charge electrification aspect of things, but also into the idea that we need to charge head-on into 20, 2021 and the future to make better changes. And whether that is you know, electrification, environmentalism, uh, you know, racial justice, economic justice, trans rights, anything like that. Uh we've got a lot on our plate, uh as a generation, uh as a country, as just someone in Michigan. We got a lot of work to do to make the area that we live in a better place. And Where that needs to start right now is internally for me, emotionally. That also needs to start in my apartment because this place is a mess as I look around. Uh, And hopefully I can push that outward uh, through this podcast. So whether or not Salvage Title continues on, I haven't completely decided. Um, I don't know if I will go full rebrand by launching a separate Sideline podcast or if I will just rebrand this thing as it is and retitle it and rebrand it with new artwork and go from there. Um but I'm thinking I do want to do more than just, you know, blabbing a bit on an app on my iPad uh once or twice or three times a month. Um and maybe get into some writing, um, maybe get into some video content. I don't know. That's the hard part is that time is the hard part and you know, I get out of work. Like I said, I'm exhausted. The last thing I want to do is go record a video outside, uh, or sometimes even do this podcast. And it's just as easy because I just hold an iPad in my in my hand and just blab at it for an hour. I mean, how hard is that, right? I don't know. I'm talking to an iPad with a dog sitting at my feet right now. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's what's going on. I will confirm it when it's time to confirm it. Uh, so yeah, we'll kind of go from there. But anyway, I hope you're doing well. I hope you're thinking about some positive things heading into 2021. Uh, it feels like the light is very much at the end of the tunnel. Um, and I I truly hope that next year is a better year for people uh, who have had just the worst things happen to them. And like I said, my trials and tribulations are nothing compared to what some people have gone through. And I know that that is, I'm in a very privileged place compared to a lot of folks. And, um, but yeah, we all just have to work to be better and to help those around us and do more good. I don't know how to end the show. I'm, I'm waving this gesture that you can't see right now. So we're just going to end things. Hey guys, if you want to follow along with me on Twitter, you can do so at twitter.com slash Y-S-S-M-A-N. That's pronounced Iceman. And uh, you can follow, also follow along with episodes of this show for right now at uh, anchor.fm slash title. Uh, yeah, that's about it. So guys, uh, if you're going out and about, it's wintertime. Drive safe. Leave an appropriate amount of distance between you and the vehicle in front of you. Uh, always break early. Don't break too late. And uh, we'll hope to see you on the next episode of the Salvage Title podcast.